0: Welcome to the Stefan Levera podcast, a show about Bitcoin and Austrian economics. Today, my guest is Rusty Russell, and we're talking about some awesome new lightning developments. But first, a word for the sponsors of the show. This podcast is brought to you by Kraken, one of the world's leading Bitcoin exchanges. Kraken have a high quality platform with high trading volume and low fees. They're renowned for having a strong focus on security with kraken security labs they offer 24 7 support they've got kraken pro mobile app kraken pro delivers all the security and features you love about the kraken exchange in a beautiful mobile first design for advanced bitcoin trading on the go kraken also offer kraken otc desk for those seeking more private personalized service for large block trades There's also Kraken Margin, up to five times, long and short. And there is also Kraken Futures, up to 50 times leverage. Don't forget, Kraken is among the top exchanges in the world by Bitcoin Liquidity, and that helps you in terms of trade execution. So go and sign up at kraken.com. This episode is also brought to you by Unchained Capital. Unchained Capital are a Bitcoin financial services company empowering customers with financial freedom and control. All their products are built on the foundation of multi-sig and they've got this approach to collaborative custody, giving users control over their private keys while also giving you the benefit of a financial partner and financial services. Unchained have these two of three vaults. You can use Trezor or Ledger. They're a great option if you need to secure your Bitcoin for the long term and if you ever need to access liquidity without selling your Bitcoin... Unchained has collateralized loans, giving you a unique option. All Bitcoin is stored on-chain, dedicated multi-seek addresses, and it's never rehypothecated. Really you can share in the security of your Bitcoin by holding one of three keys as well. I'm really impressed with them. They offer excellent services. They've got awesome content and open source tools like Caravan and Hermit. I think you'll enjoy partnering with them for your Bitcoin financial services. Go learn more at unchained-capital.com. Next, check out givebitcoin.io, the easiest and safest way to get your friends and family into Bitcoin. Have you ever given Bitcoin to people before and then seen that they just lost it? because they didn't understand what they were receiving or they didn't know how to secure it. That's why I see huge value in GiveBitcoin, where you time lock that Bitcoin for one to five years. Every month of the first year, GiveBitcoin delivers a lesson from a world-class curriculum with input from many well-known Bitcoiners such as Safedean, Matt O'Dell, Jan Pritzker, and others. I'm an advisor as well with a small equity stake, and I'm assisting with the curriculum also. I'm also quite excited. They've got some really cool stuff coming next year. I can't uh, announce too much, but keep an eye out for it. I really think GiveBitcoin.io can have a positive impact on Bitcoin adoption and understanding, so I'm excited to have them as a sponsor. Next up is CypherSafe, producing the CypherWheel product. Are you keeping your Bitcoin BIP39 seed backed up in a way that's fireproof, waterproof, rustproof, pet-proof, tamper evident? If not, look into CypherWheel. It's a new product. It's it's available for pre-order now. It's compact, comes in a wheel shape, and it masks the words of your seed. And not only that, it does it in a way where it is actually tamper evident. So in order to open it, you would have to actually break that seal. So make sure your seed is backed up to help you in case your paper seed is waterlogged or tampered or goes up in a fire. Make sure your loved ones have access to your bitcoins if an accident occurs. So go and check out the website, ciphersafe.io. There's a link in the show notes. So today for episode 134, Rusty Russell from Blockstream rejoins me for the third time. So Rusty is working on the Lightning Network specification and also as part of the team working on C Lightning, which is the Blockstream implementation of Lightning. So in this episode, we talk about some of the ongoing and recent development work, particularly in relation to multi-part payments, as this has been an anticipated development in the Lightning Network. We talk about payment secrets, and we also talk about privacy on lightning network and lastly we talk about rusty's outlook for lightning network in 2020 here is the interview rusty welcome back to the show great to be on again Stefan. so rusty i hear there's been a lot of development around multi-part payment and you've got the new c lightning coming out do you want to just give us an update there
1: yeah for sure so for, on the So there's, there's two sides to this. Uh, one is kind of the spec side and the development and interoperability of multi part payment stuff. Um, and the other side is what's happening in C-Lightning. So um, C-Lightning obviously my baby. Um, uh, I started it at Blockstream. We have two other devs at Blockstream who work on it. And we have like a lot of community contributors as well. And we tend to do a, a first release candidate on the 10th of every second month. So... You know, we don't define which time zones. We get a bit of slippage there. But uh, basically two days ago, we released RC1. Uh, Christian Decker was a uh, release captain for this release. So it was his call. Um, and that unfortunately didn't have multi-part payments in it. You know, he made the call that, nope, uh, we hadn't had interoperability testing. It wasn't finalized in the spec. And so we chose to, to like let it pass. And then uh, I read my email a couple of days ago when I woke up in the morning. and uh, t-best, Sebastian from, from Async had actually, they'd completed their implementation and he had successfully done interoperability testing with uh, the C-Lightning implementation that was running on my test node and uh, made sure it all worked together. He actually discovered a couple of uh, UX bugs too. So we filed, you know, I filed those for him and, and we got those fixed as well. But importantly, that it worked together. Um, and that's like the final checkbox that we needed to make it final in the spec. Uh, once it's final in the spec, it can go live on the network. So... then you know basically begged christian could be kind of slipped that in at the last minute um and he 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 has merged that in now so uh the next c lightning release which will be kind of out this week uh will actually have multi-part payment support so perhaps we should step backwards and ask the obvious questions what is multi-part payment support you know what's the spec that you're talking about you know uh how did this kind of happen so at the moment in lightning if i send you an invoice and i want you to pay me some money you have to basically pay in one big chunk, right? So you have to find, you know, you're trying to pay me, like, you know, um, 10,000 Satoshis, you have to find uh, a path that will allow you to pay 10,000 Satoshis through every hop to get to me, right? And if you can't do that, you can't pay me. Um, And, it actually works pretty well for small amounts, but for bigger amounts, it can be a real problem. And in particular, in the case where you've got multiple channels, which is great for routability, but you don't have all your liquidity in one channel. So there are payments you simply can't make. It's not that you don't have the money; it's that you don't have it all in one place, right? You know, and you can try to rebalance and stuff like that, but that kind of sucks. So you know, it drives people towards setting up one big channel because it's more effective than having lots of little ones. Um, but for robustness, it's much better to have lots of little ones, right? So. Multi-part payment uh, was an idea s- proposed prior to the to, to last November um, by Lightning Labs. Um, and they had this scheme they called AMP because um, we love our uh, uh, lightning uh, <laughs> Electricity acronyms. Pump. Yeah, it's fantastic. So uh, Atomic Multipath Payments. And in their scheme, basically, you send all these separate parts and the recipient, the final recipient would get all these parts together. They could combine those, uh, the, the secrets that were in those to get the the. The, the pre-image that they needed to redeem all the parts, right? Um, and it was a really interesting scheme. But the problem with it, from my point of view, is that there's no invoice flow. So in an invoice flow, I'm basically giving you a promise that says, hey, if you pay this invoice, um, and this is like a signed promise, like a contract saying, hey, I will give you the pre-image to this thing if you pay this, which means that if, if you can show the pre-image for this, this hash thing, you, it sure shows that somebody paid the invoice, right? So that gives you an ability to go, hold on. Clearly, this has been paid. I can prove that it has been paid. Uh, where's, where's my stuff, right? You know, you were supposed to ship me a pizza or whatever it was, right? Yeah. Um, and I consider that kind of important. Um, you know, in a decentralized network where there's no middleman, um, th- this this cryptographic receipt technology is actually key. So uh, this is something I've, I really wanted to preserve. Um, and Anthony Towns pointed out that actually, because we have this property, you can do a much simpler multi-part payment um, you simply send all the pieces and rely on the fact that the vendor isn't going to give you the receipt they're not going to cash it in until they've got enough right i mean uh if you say you owe me five bucks for this well you know you're not going to give me the receipt to say that i've paid um unless i actually give you like, the amount of money you expect right so um, this makes a much simpler scheme where I just send you all the pieces with a little flag saying, by the way, I know this is not everything you wanted, but it's coming. Um, and you wait for like up to 60 seconds uh, to see if you get the other pieces. If you get them all, great. You atomically accept all of them together, and I get what I want. I get the receipt. Now, this is conceptually kind of simpler to, to implement. Um, and you can basically, it turns out, you can build the, the, the more advanced, the, this is the secret-based uh, um, app on top of a kind of a base app kind of layer so this became base amp um, and we decided to drop the puns and in the spec it's called just called multi-part payments um, because you know uh at some point readability is important um, and having people know the the names rather than just being able to you know multi-part payments is kind of you know uh, fairly obviously um you don't you don't have to like define what that is whereas amp you always had to kind of tell people and let them in on the secret of what it stood for so um so what we've got at the moment is BaseAmp um, and that has the benefits of simplicity. Uh, and it looks like at this stage there is, uh, so obviously uh, uh, Async are testing an implementation in Eclair uh, because they did the interoperability with us. C-Lightning have an implementation. And um, I just heard from on IRC from Connor that they also a few days ago merged into master their implementation uh of base amp um and they're doing some testing as well at the moment uh so what status that will be in their in people's next releases is is still up to you know the individual projects but it looks like the next release of every single of the three major implementations will support base amp Um, and that's incredibly exciting on the sea lightning side uh we're really good with receiving like you know you can just transparently receive base amp if it comes in multiple parts it'll wait for the other pieces and it'll work um if you want to send one you have to construct it manually kind of out of matchsticks and snot right there's enough there that you could, in theory create a payment there's enough to test uh but the normal pay command still doesn't understand multi-part payments um so it's important that we got the infrastructure out there uh and the next releases of course will enhance the heuristics on when we should use multi-part payments, um, how we should use it, you know, what happens if part of it fails? You try to split that again and and do do more parts and things like that. Um, and the most obvious case, right, is where. You're, I'm trying to pay you but I you know I'm trying to pay you more than the, a single channel of mine will handle obviously I should do multi-part payments um, but since our pay command is actually a plug-in it's actually really easy for third parties to, to implement that if they they wanted to before we get to it right so it is an incredibly exciting uh, development and it's a really good time and and it's, it's an exciting time everyone's like popping champagne corks right now uh, because you know this this has really come together it's been a long process Uh getting the spec together. Um, so the way the spec works is we kind of, you know, somebody builds a proposal, we thrash it out, uh, then everyone tries to implement it. Then we kind of revisit the spec again, because inevitably you come up with things and go, hold on, we should have gone it this way because it's simpler. Um, and then there's like, a when everyone agrees that the spec is correct and we're all good, well, there's another gateway. And that is that two independent implementations have to interoperate and make sure they work together. Um, because we've had cases in the past where we've kind of, you know, gone, oh, well, it's obvious how we do it. And it turns out we were wrong, right? Uh, two people managed to to implement it differently in incompatible ways. So uh, we've gotten stricter over time with that requirement and that requirement was met a couple of days ago. Um, And so now basically we're ready to merge it into the spec and it's a first class citizen and lightning. So,
0: yeah, that's pretty cool. So, I guess from a user perspective, they will they might have seen it like, "Oh, I tried to route these payments and they didn't work." But then hopefully yep. going forward now that we have, well, so let's let's assume two releases forward, right? An MPP is now operating at all of the major lightning implementations, and then ideally the corresponding wallets that are, you know, interacting with those lightning Uh, demons, will know how to speak the language of MPP, let's say, uh, and be able to construct the payment in such a way that more of our payments will now go through without needing us to have one fat channel, but you might have 10 small channels, and you split up that payment across all of your different 10 channels, let's say, and route it to your desired recipient.
1: Exactly. So it's important that as many people as possible, like there's two stages, right? You've got to support receive first before anyone can support send, right? And that's why with this release, the the priority in C-Lightning was to get receive done, right? Make sure we can receive them, right? Because if everyone on the network can receive them, then you can upgrade to send, right? Um, If the end end user doesn't understand, you know, the person you're trying to send money to doesn't understand multi-part payments, it doesn't matter how clever your wallet is you're still stuck yeah. so uh yeah getting, getting the receive out there first even though you know the user doesn't see any benefit until both sides support it right um but this breaks the ground and means we've got there now there's an interesting thing here um in order to do this uh uh we built on what we now call tlv style or modern style payments so up to this point we had a very fixed format in what you would send and that's now called legacy um and there were a whole heap of things we wanted to do. One, one of the reasons this took so long is we wanted to really tear apart that format, uh, use the extension field we had, and basically come up with a new one, which is more generic and does this. And so in order to use multi-part payments, you need to use this modern TLV-style uh, um, format. And at some point we will actually um, make it compulsory and we'll get rid of the legacy stuff altogether. Obviously that's like a few, probably at least 12 months away before we see an implementation do that. Uh, But we have all the steps in place to do that. One of the things that it adds is this thing that we currently call a payment secret. Now that's actually a bit of a misnomer, but uh, we haven't been able to come up with a better name. So in the spec it's still called a payment secret, Um, but this basically solves a problem that we have at the moment. And that if you present me with an invoice, And I try to pay it. Um, If one of the intermediary nodes um, gets this to the incoming payment, obviously they can't see exactly where it's going, but they might be able to guess. And so they can implement their own payment um, and actually pay that invoice. And if it succeeds, then they can go, right, well, okay, obviously I can collect the incoming money because I have the the pre-image that I need. Um, But now I've de-anonymized the payment. Um, And this is a potential attack – for anyone who's on that payment line, right um, now we don't know if any implementation is doing this at the moment, but it's certainly a theoretical problem. This problem gets worse if you have an amountless invoice. So most invoices say you have to pay this amount, but it's actually optional. They can say just just pay me some money, right? Now in this case, uh, I'm trying to pay you, you know, a hundred thousand satoshis, for example, and somebody probes with a single satoshi payment halfway through. Now. If you accept any amount because you're just accepting donations, for example, they'll still get the pre-image that they need, but they'll only have paid out like one satoshi or one millisatoshi.
0: And they can just claim the rest in his fees, right? They
1: claim the whole amount. And I will never know that you didn't receive the full amount that I expected you to to receive, right? Now, in order to, to work around this, we have this thing called a payment secret. So when you send me the invoice, it contains a secret, and you will then only accept payments that have that secret in them. Right. Um, so if somebody tries to do a probe, they don't know the secret, obviously, um, and you'll just pretend that that you don't know what they're talking about, right? Um, so so it means they can't de-anonymize the payments, and it means that they can't uh, do this thing where they can steal funds if 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 there's an unamounted payment uh, that's accepted in there. Um, of course, that requires um, the modern format. It doesn't work in the legacy format. There's no way to put, you know, nowhere useful to put the secret. So that's another reason to try to push the upgrade. Um, as fast as possible because once everyone's upgraded we can make this secret compulsory and we can close this this kind of loophole
0: sorry just to clarify with the payment secret is that exclusively for mpp payments or just any lightning payment
1: it's actually any lightning payment so uh, the way it's implemented is every payment is now technically an MPP payment, like they're technically multi-part, just they could only be one part, right? Um, if every MPP piece of payment says, hey, this is the total amount that I'm trying to pay you. Um, and obviously, if this payment that you've received covers the total amount, well, then, well, yeah, it's, it's, you're finished, right? Um, so the format for whether it's multi-part or single part in the modern parlance is basically the same. Um, and if you use a multi-part payment, you have to use the secret, right? So we're assuming that if wallets upgrade to use multi-part payments, which they want to do, they will also support the payment secrets uh, in invoices. So that will hopefully move the ecosystem really fast towards accepting all these great things. And then we can deprecate the old legacy stuff and the the you know the cases where you didn't understand the secret in the invoice but for now we, we still need to
0: allow it right and one more question maybe i'm not getting it quite clearly what's the difference then between the payment secret and then the pre-image yep. yeah the pre-image like the payment secret like yeah that pre-image yeah
1: this is where the name payment secret is pretty bad the payment secret is basically just some junk that you've put in the invoice and it proves that the person paying has seen the invoice right okay. um so you put this random, random nonce in the invoice. Um, and then when, when I, you know, when I pay it, I present that nonce to you back again. You're cool. Okay. Well, you've seen the invoice. Whereas someone just in the middle, they can see the, um, they see the payment hash. Uh, Cause they need to, that's part of the, the contract that they're exchanging with each peer. Um, but they, they've never seen the invoice. So they don't know what the payment secret is and it's encrypted inside the onion. So um, the middleman can't see uh, what the secret is. So, you know, in a modern world where you're, you're requiring the secret uh, because everyone's upgraded, um, you, you won't accept a payment from anyone other than the person who's seen the actual invoice originally. Gotcha.
0: So if I've got you correct, then like the typical model where it's the pre-image and the payment hash, the pre-image is what lets the person collect the payment. But in this new model, like we've still got that there, but now we're adding this additional component, which is the payment secret, which is basically proving that you knew the invoice. Is that right? Yeah,
1: Exactly. That's right. Um, and it does, you know, I mean, this is a bit of a workaround. Once we've got, you know, Schnorr and, 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 and you know, uh, all that through, then we can have decorrelation. We can have a whole lot of other cool things that give us these properties we want. But we didn't want to wait that long. Um, and given that we needed to change the, up the format for multi-part payment, it seems sensible to kind of put this in now. Um, and it really is trivial. Like, you know, uh, you, you, you look at the invoice, you get the extra field, you go, great. I'll just stash that where I'm supposed to in the modern format. And send it through, and the fact that your invoice presents that field kind of implies that you understand the modern format uh, and all those things. So, cool. So yeah, it was pretty much a, a free, free, uh, free win on the way through to multi-part payments.
0: Uh, and uh, Rusty, would you mind breaking down payment decorrelation? What is that?
1: Right. Okay. So this is a current weakness uh, in both the legacy and the base multi-part payments, in that fundamentally the way Lightning works is you know I'm saying you give me the thing that hashes to this and i'll give you some money and that's actually the contract of the you know the smart contract on the bitcoin blockchain so it's enforceable um but of course you know so if if um i'm trying to pay you and i'm going through alice and bob you know i say to alice hey i'll pay you you know a 100000 satoshis if if you give me the preimage to this you know the thing that hashes to this right uh, alice then turns around to bob and goes okay i will pay you you know slightly less than that satoshis if you give me the preimage that hashes to this, right? But it's the same question, which means that um, if two people on the route are talking to each other, or they're the same person, um, they can trivially tell that this is the same payment going through, right? Um, you know, we go to these lengths to try to you know, encrypt things and use onion routing, but if you've got two two uh, people on the route who are cooperating with each other, they can trivially tell that this is the same payment going through, right? Um, because it's asking for the, it's asking for the same pre-image. so that's, that's called route correlation. And basically they can trivially correlate the different hops now with base amp, um, you may be making multiple payments, but they're all asking the same question. You're asking for the same pre-image, which means that you still have correlation, even though you split it into multiple parts. If I see two of the parts, I can trivially tell that this is a multi-part payment of the same payment. Okay. And that's not good. Um, If we have Schnorr signatures, uh, then instead of using hashes and pre-images, we can basically use uh, points or or keys um, and and private keys uh, or secret keys. And then we can actually change these and do it in such a way that you can't correlate anymore. Um, But in the meantime, if you use uh, the original... OG AMP proposal where you present the secrets, um, you can also use decorrelation in that way. So uh, the disadvantage is that you don't get the, the the power of invoices, but the advantage is that you can completely decorrelate the payments and that they can basically be asking completely separate, for completely separate pre-images uh, because you get to make them up yourself. So that gives you the advantage of decorrelation, which is a much more private way of making payments. Um, now, in practice the lightning network is probably not broad enough that that you get a huge amount of privacy anyway right um in order to get a high degree of privacy on a network you need to have a lot of different options right so if if basically if i'm the only way people can pay, make payments to alice i can pretty much tell that you're making a payment to alice right um similarly uh, with economic concerns i can look and go hold on you're probably not sending a payment To this person, because you would have gone around me. The only reason to go through me is if you need to get to Alice and things like that. So um, at the moment, uh, decorrelation is probably not the greatest problem with privacy on the network. Um, But it's certainly it's it's a low hanging fruit, something we've known since the beginning as something we want to get rid of. So... You know, uh, we're one soft fork away, I hope, or maybe a couple of soft forks away uh, from being able to do that. Uh, and then we will get full decorrelation. correlation. And in the meantime, we will have uh, other approaches to allow you to do this.
0: Yeah. So if, uh, just again, replaying a little bit of my understanding there, part of that there is if you are along the route, you may, depending on how the payment goes, you might have some information about who it's for, and also, if you see, potentially, you you can see the, I guess, if you tried to probe the network and infer what is the balance in the channels, and then try to see based on the movement in that balance of the channels, that because the Lightning Network right now is not huge, there might only be one way that you could have routed a certain payment. Therefore, you know, oh, okay, that payment must have come from this guy. Is that...
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, if the topology is limited enough, you can work it down to like the three people who are likely being paid or or the other way you can go, it probably must have come from one of these three, right? Um, and that's not really good anonymity. And um, uh, worse, of course, if they're, if they're retrying payments, each payment will look the same too, so you can tell that they're retrying, right? Um, because they'll be asking the same question. Okay, give me the premiums for this, right? So... So there are ways that the network isn't as private as we would like at the moment. Um, there was a good uh, – Claudia um, gave a really good talk at um, – at,
0: uh, uh, Claudia Sanchez. Yeah, yeah,
1: Sanchez. Yeah, so um, – and, and she's like, no, that's, uh, it's, it's a really hard problem to get around this. Um, it's actually something I'm really interested in working on in the next release uh, as an aside is basically making our routing worse. Because fees are so low on the Lightning Network, there's a lot of tolerance for doing really sloppy routing. And if you if your routing looks a lot like a random walk, it gets a lot harder to tell. Oh well, of course you're going from here to here because you were taking the cheapest route, right? If you're prepared to pay an extra like fraction of a percent of a you know of your payment, um, you can get a lot more wild with the routes you take, and they can look a lot more like random noise. And it gets a lot harder for you to tell. Well, of course you know you can't make assumptions like well of course they wouldn't have routed through me if they were going there, right? Suddenly it's like, well, God knows what they're doing, right? They're, 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 they're basically doing a random walk through the network that happens to pass through the points that they want. Um, and that's where we want to end up, I think. So that's, yeah. that's a whole exciting area of research. Uh, but, you know, once you've got that perfect, then you've still got this, this correlation problem that if someone sees the same payment, if you go through two adversarial nodes, um, they can talk to be talking to each other or someone can be gathering the data and go, well, of course that's the same payment. They're asking the same question. So, you know, there's a lot to, uh, you know, uh, as excited as we are about the state of the light network, we inevitably look up to the horizon and go, there's all this cool stuff coming um, that will take us to the next level, even beyond what we're at now.
0: Yeah, right. Um, And so I guess first question on my mind is how economical would it be for somebody to try that sort of adversarial node attack like because theoretically they would have to interpose themselves across the network into lots of different routes so that they can try that decorrelation attack right and we don't necessarily know how much that would cost for them to do that and how much of the lightning network they could theoretically decorrelate right yeah
1: ellen big could do it today right so LNB is this this uh, a group of group of nodes that are extremely well-funded um, that effectively provide an ad hoc backbone to the Lightning Network, right? They're really well-funded. They're really well-connected. There's, like, lots of them. And so they end up, you know, a lot of payments go through them. Uh, and they could certainly do a lot of analysis on payments if they wanted to. Uh, so, you know, to some extent, this problem gets harder for an adversary as – you know, as as the network grows, particularly as we start seeing more um, private private routes, right? So not every channel is advertised, um, and uh, there's there's a couple of proposals to make private channels even harder to probe for so it's, they're much harder to find in the network um, and those things will also make the job of, of the, doing this kind of analysis more difficult which is definitely the aim right um, we definitely want this this to become more difficult uh, but it is it is probably it's, it's far too easy I would say to do today um, and it doesn't necessarily I'm not saying you know big is, is, is bad or anything I think, I think they're great but you know you wouldn't even have to, to, to be Ln big it could be somebody who's actually got access to their data for example like, so If you've got access to the logs of Ln big, you would also be able to do this.
0: Right. Uh, and uh, that uh, you were also touching on uh, one of my other questions, which is around this question of public channels versus private channels. Now, um, currently, as I understand, so your, your node builds its own little model of what is the network graph. And obviously, the public channels, it knows about those. Uh, but the private channels, it doesn't necessarily know about those. Uh, but then, uh, as I understand, then there might be my understanding is there's routing hints and they can disclose what the private channels are. Can you give us uh, some background on how to think about, you know, public versus private channels there?
1: Yeah. So, public channels are basically, okay, so at the moment, private channels are anything you don't announce. We have a network to say, hey, here's here's all these channels you can use, right? which is kind of required for routing. So, um, you know, uh, depending on your implementation, I mean, Eclair doesn't Uh, when when it opens a a channel, uh, it assumes it's not gonna be used widely for routing. And so it does not uh, make it public by default. Um, Other implementations, the sea Lightning, for example, uh, makes makes channels public by default. And you have to say, no, I don't want this to be be public. Um, So there's this gossip network everyone talks about their channels and says what's happening. Um, The private channels are not represented in that network, but if you have a private channel, you can obviously use it yourself because you know about it. But if you wanna receive a payment, you have to tell the other end somehow that this channel exists. And the way you do that is you put it in the invoice, right? You say, oh, by the way, here's a channel you can use to reach me. Um, So they're they're private in one sense. I mean, you do disclose them to the person paying you uh, in a lot of cases. Um, And unfortunately, at the moment when you disclose them, you tell them exactly where the on-chain footprint of that channel is. They learn a lot of information about it. Um, There's a good proposal to basically randomize those. So you'll give it, you know, you'll talk to your peer, you have the private channel with you. Cool, give me a temporary ID, like a fake ID for this channel, and it'll give you one. And then you use that in your invoice. And you can change that whenever you want. So that will allow another level of obfuscation. So although you're telling people you have a private channel, you're no longer telling them, you know, the the person paying, you're no longer telling them the capacity or anything like that. Um, So... The other thing that happens is that uh, a channel on the Lightning Network is a two-of-two two payment um, to, to, to both parties, and that leaves a specific imprint on the blockchain. And you know, uh, again, the, at LN Conf, Christian Decker did a talk on basically doing that analysis, and he goes, look, you can pretty much see how many private channels there are uh, just – looking at that, and certainly when they closed, you can tell that they were a private channel, they were a two of two, they looked exactly like this. Okay, that's pretty straightforward. So um, that's the other thing that would get in a soft fork with Taproot is that in the mutual close case, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between a normal Bitcoin spend and a lightning channel. So again, that makes private channels just that much more private. And it means we'll no longer have any idea of how many private channels there are on the network. So while private channels are currently at the moment used for things where you probably don't want a route, in the future it may be that you open a whole heap of private channels and you just selectively you, you selectively disclose them to through receipts and things like that. Um, there is a reason to disclose private channels to people. And that is that if I have a private channel with you at the moment and I send a payment out, you can be pretty sure that I'm probably – you know, I'm probably running a clear or something that does private channels by default. I'm probably not routing other people's payments, right? I'm probably sending it myself, which is obviously a disclosure that I don't want to make. So um, in some cases, if you disclose private channels, it makes that heuristic a lot more muddy, right? Then you're not sure that a payment coming through a private channel is necessarily is necessarily um, from me, right? So as as private channels get more private, we may also a bit counterintuitively see this case where the – people are actually just selectively disclosing private channels in order to gain deniability over their use.
0: Okay, so then when we're setting up our channels, does that mean we should set up some that are public and some that are private?
1: So your question is... When we create channels, should we set up some that are public and some that are private? The answer to that really is not yet. Um, When privacy technology has gotten further in the Lightning Network, I'd say that's actually going to be a really interesting heuristic to do, to start just gratuitously making some otherwise useful channels when you have multiple channels, making some of them private. And there are ways, reasons that you might want to do that. You might want to keep some channels for yourself and use others for routing most of the time and then occasionally do that. Uh, We're definitely going to see more Uh, more complex heuristics around use of channels and things like that. We're seeing this evolution at the moment, of course, Um, but using some private channels. And there's even this idea of having kind of a local gossip network. So even if you have private channels, you still might share them with a couple of neighbors and maybe they share them with one level of neighbors out just to gain this deniability. So it's private in the sense that I'm not going to prove to you I really have a channels, but I will tell you that maybe I can route for you if you really want. Um, And that means that you could maybe use my private channels every so often and if an implementation was known to do that you can no longer make this assumption that a payment coming through a private channel is necessarily from that person which i think is actually a huge win for the network Um, with something like uh amp you also get the ability to use those even and not rely on them solely right because you can present part of the payment through like a local channel um, that is that is perhaps private and you can mix and match a lot more. And obviously, once we get payment decorrelation in there as well, uh, this becomes a much more robust system where you you, you know, you, know you, you can spread things all over the place. Uh, and yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to to that. Uh, we are seeing more researchers looking hard at the, the the properties of the Lightning Network and the privacy properties, um, and that definitely starting this treadmill of privacy where you know we look at exploits we look at ways that people can identify nodes and try to figure out what they're doing and then then kind of we respond to them so you know i certainly have no doubt that this is going to keep us busy for the next you know next several years at least uh, on top of all the technical innovations that are going on is trying to make sure that this privacy uh this 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 privacy war is something that we try to stay ahead of
0: so rusty is there a tension between routing success and privacy on the lightning network
1: okay is there a tension between routing success and privacy on the network i think the more there's more attention between okay so so in some sense yes there is you can you know for example, if if you do this random walk thing I was talking about where, you know, you make your routes much less predictable, that almost certainly implies they're longer. And the longer it is, the more chance there is for failure, right? So, you know, if you've got twice the length of route, you've got twice the number of nodes that you're hoping don't, you know, don't fail. So perhaps um, your success rate drops to some extent. The challenge in the Lightning Network is to make it so reliable that the difference is between ninety-nine point nine nine percent and ninety-nine point, you know, nine nine five percent. Small enough difference that nobody cares, right? Uh, privacy is great when when nobody really has to ever disable it because it always just works, um, and they can't even measure the the, the cost of the privacy. So um, I'm hoping that there isn't this point where we have to start going, well, crap. Um, This is is terrible for reliability. I need to undo things. And fundamentally, multi-part payments is about increasing reliability. So um, I'm hoping that uh, that gives us enough of a reliability improvement that it's no longer a problem. We've seen over the, I mean, Christian Decker's talk again talked about the problem of stuck payments. This seems to be getting a lot better over time in the network. Um, We're seeing a lot fewer stuck payments. We're seeing a lot higher rates of success. The usual reason that a payment doesn't succeed at the moment is a lack of capacity on one of the hops. And of course, BaseAmp gives us a way around that. So I expect this trend of the Lightning Network becoming more robust and reliable to continue.
0: That's great. And also on this idea of using MPP, multi-part payments, it could also help stop that attack of a person interposing themselves in the network and figuring out merely from the change in channel balances because now that movement may be only one part of the payment and not all of the payment, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. So, um, th- so there is this this attack where basically you let a payment go through, or you know, a payments a payment's going through your your node Mallory, and Mallory decides hmm, I wonder if it's going going to go th-, you know it obviously knows the next hop, but maybe, I wonder if it's going through this hop afterwards. So it does a probe to figure out what the capacity is. Um, how you know it, it tries a few payments, which are like, cool. I, they've got about this much. They let the payment through, and then they probe it again. They go, aha, the capacity dropped by almost exactly the amount. That i expected um, right now i can be pretty sure that that part of the payment did actually go through this link um, that's a very hard thing to combat um, the only way to combat it really is to put a false flaw in so you have heuristics where you pretend you have slightly less capacity than you do um, depending on you know where things are being asked from and over time you revise that but fundamentally that's a difficult thing to um, to combat it's still possible in an mpp world because you can tell that an individual shard went that way Um, potentially it's worse actually because if you see multiple shards then you get multiple chances to kind of do this probing um, and, and see see what the result was um what we will see i think over time is more obfuscation of exactly how much channel capacity is available uh now at the moment uh, nobody really does this obfuscation. So you can probe down to the millisecond and exactly figure out. Uh, now, there's a chance that multiple payments go through at the same time and it messes your heuristic because something unrelated caused the capacity to change. Um, but I expect that we'll get more sophisticated and we will start uh, you know, making up channel capacity changes just in order to try to defeat some of these heuristics. And the smaller the payments are, um, the less critical it is that we, that we represent uh, channel balance exactly. So that that these heuristics actually go together. Interestingly, there's a proposal that I have on the spec where we would actually do some of this work for people and say, hey, this is approximately how much capacity I have left. Now, this wasn't useful up to this point, uh, but with multi-part payment, it becomes important. When, when, when a payment fails, a node just tells you, I couldn't make this payment, right? Transient, there was a transient error. And then you're like, well, Maybe if I split it up, it'll work the second time, right? Um, so you split it in two parts and you try again and it fails again. Do you split it again and you know, keep working your way down? That is effectively doing a capacity probe, right? Only we're making you do a lot more work for it. So if we return a hint to you to say, oh, by the way, you're like three orders of magnitude out. And you know, even that number could be fuzzed. you know, It could be very approximate. You have an idea. Should you bother to split the payment or should you just try somewhere else as well? So we'll probably end up with these hints because – people will effectively end up doing these probes for capacity anyway. So on the one side, we'll make it a little bit easier for people to find out approximately what capacity is left. But on the other hand, we will probably be increasingly active in obfuscating the capacity amounts that we return to people so that these kind of probing attacks become more difficult. But that's still an area of active research.
0: And on that, it also matters how many pieces the payment gets split up into. Can you shed some light on how you're thinking about MPP and how many pieces the payment will get split into?
1: Right, okay, so this is um, this is a really good question. On, you know, how do you actually use MPP? Like, you know, at the moment, as I said, in C-Lighting, it's completely manual. You manually divide up the pieces and you can send the pieces. And it's great for testing, but it's, it's completely useless for, for real world. You know, obviously then what you want is your pay command to have heuristics to figure out when to split and how to split. Um, in the next release, you know, the first versions will probably be quite conservative. They'll try the full payment first, and if that works, great. If it doesn't, they'll then look at splitting it um you want to split it's nice to split it into uneven pieces um because if you know uh if the original and one reason to actually split is that if someone doesn't see both pieces then you've obscured the amount much more right people tend to ask for money in round amounts like you know give me a hundred thousand satoshis or a certain amount of usd right and you can see that payment going through um pretty easily and if you know how much i've paid you can make some guesses you know you're paying this much on the Blockstream store, I can pretty much guess what you bought, right? Um, so, or I can guess, Hell, and this looks like a payment for a sticker at the Blockstream store, therefore, I'm pretty sure where you're going because I'm pretty sure you're paying to the Blockstream store, right? If you split it into two pieces and you split it arbitrarily, not not exactly in half, then, um, then obviously you're denying that information to people who are in the middle who don't see all the pieces. So there's an argument for doing it just aggressively. Just always use multi-part payments when you can and split it up arbitrarily. But the first implementation will probably just have it as a fallback mode. So if it doesn't work the first time, uh it will split into you know two parts and try again and and, then split again and again. Um, There is a limitation here in that there's a timeout. If one piece gets accepted the end node will hold that for at least 60 seconds, and it's specified in the specification. It has to have some time out, must be at least 60 seconds. Sea lighting has chosen 70, because it's more than 60, and it's not ridiculous amounts. Um, so you, you know, at some point you have to stop trying, right? You have to kind of try to get them all through, um, and then you will get a specific failure back if, if you, you don't manage it in time. So you will have these heuristics on what you try. Um, but at the moment, we're probably just going to split it into two kind of random pieces, somewhere between a quarter to, to three quarters each, um, and then and then try to send those in parallel if the first one doesn't work. Um, and how far we go down the rabbit hole is a good question, right? Um, you know... Uh, if Do you really want to be splitting it into like 100 separate pieces, um, or do you want to give up at some point before that and go, okay, well, this is getting silly? Um, the other thing is that because there is a slight fee associated with each payment, splitting into more pieces means more fees, right? Uh, because every node charges a fee that's a base plus a percentage. The percentage doesn't matter how many pieces you split into, but obviously you're paying the base multiple times. once for each each piece. At the moment, uh, those base numbers are so small, nobody really cares. Um, And if you're paying a really tiny payment so that that's a large percentage of your total payment, you didn't need to split it anyway, right? Because it's so small, it was gonna go through, right? There's no point splitting a 500 millisatoshi payment into two parts, except for experimentation purposes. Uh, Because, you know, uh, the chances that somebody could route it if only it was less than 500 millisatoshis is pretty much zero on the network today, right? If 500 millisatoshis won't go through, then one release won't go through. So there are going to be a whole heap of heuristics that come around this. And a lot of this we can only decide once we've actually deployed it and, and got some real information back. And that's one of the areas where I'm sure the, uh, the, the implementations will cooperate and, you know, and share a lot of data about uh, how this is working and, and what heuristics work well.
0: I think it might be useful to see the use of things like on-chain fallback as well. So there was recently some chatter amongst the BTC Pay Server team about whether they should present the Lightning invoice and then also include a fallback Bitcoin address, so it's all in one. And as I understand, I think it's Bolt11 has a fallback Bitcoin on-chain address. So in the Lightning world, would we try a single payment or a multi-part payment and then try again with another route and then if that doesn't work fall back to bitcoin on chain
1: yeah this is this is something that's been in bolt 11 since the beginning and that is the ability to have uh one or more fallback addresses you can in fact they're specified in bolt 11 in preference order so you can say well look here's a big 32 address um but you know just in case you don't understand that here's a second fallback address which is like a p2sh or something right so so both 11 can specify multiple fallback addresses. And obviously it's up to the client to go, well, hold on. I was trying to pay you 500 millisatoshis. That doesn't even make sense on-chain. Um, or to have some heuristic goes, okay, right, you really want to pay this. Okay, we'll go on-chain. C-Lightning at the moment um, will not fall back to on-chain without interaction. You'd have to do that manually. Uh, but you, you, know, you certainly could. Um, and again, I mean, as a plugin, so someone could write a smarter pay plugin um, that, uh, that that does those heuristics for you and says, "Well, okay, so it's only going to cost us like one percent. Sure, it's going to take longer because um, you have to wait for confirms and things, but it's worth uh, sending that." Uh, the alternative is to use the Bitcoin-style um, URL, which basically says it's his Bitcoin address, and as a fallback, here's the Lightning payment. Right, so you can kind of do it both ways. The Lightning Bolt Eleven payment can contain a Bitcoin address, or the Bitcoin URL can, can contain like a Uh, a lightning invoice as well so people have implemented both ways depending on where they're coming from right Uh, if they're coming from the bitcoin world they tend to to add the lightning url or sorry the lightning um uh, invoice uh, into the Bitcoin URL. And if they are on the Lightning side, then they use the fallback mechanism that's built into Bolt 11.
0: Awesome. And also, we are seeing a bit more adoption around LN URL. Now, you and I, we spoke about this at the Lightning conference in person, but just for the listeners, can you share your thoughts on LN URL?
1: Oh, yeah. Look, LN URL is great. um So, uh and I was just listening to your podcast with the, um, the Zebedee. Uh,
0: Chris uh, Moss, Mandel Chris
1: Christmas, yeah. Um, and uh, talking about lnurl, so this is this is this is fresh. I, look, so um, you know, we we would up to bolt eleven uh, as part of the lightning effort. We're obviously going to need an invoice, whatever else. But as he points out, there's a whole piece missing there, right? Which is like, well, okay, but how do I prompt your side to send me an invoice so I can pay it and stuff like that? And lnurl has basically um, found all these things that you need to get from. Hey, the lightning guys implemented this. That's kind of cool. Uh, to I actually trying to use this in a, like a in a in a real you know uh, a real web dev kind of way um, and so LNURL is this this grab bag of techniques basically it's uh, it's a format but it also does all these cool things like you know hey this is how you open a channel so it's kind of this grab bag of things that's kind of like the all the missing pieces that we haven't done or haven't done yet uh, inside the main spec so. Um, you know, future avenues for the spec is to basically steal stuff from LNURL, like, cool, let's adopt that. Uh, but LNURL is by itself is, is a very powerful spec that increasingly is becoming like a de facto standard that everyone should implement. Um, implementing it properly in, in C-Lightning is in fact on my infinitely long to-do list, uh, because I think it's 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 a great innovation. One of the things that I dislike about LNURL um, is that it makes web requests. And you know, uh, ideally, we have this nice anonymizing, you know, uh, network that we, you know, we're going to pay the Lightning payments through, it would be great to be able to tunnel some of these requests themselves through uh, the Lightning network. And so we started discussions on basically how we would do this. So some of the stuff that's in the URL, probably, you know, in 12 months time, or whatever, will start to become Lightning messages themselves. And, you know, and that, solves the problem of going, oh, well, you know, it was all great and anonymous that you were paying this until you used LNURL and basically did a web request direct to their server, and then you what IP address you were coming from. Uh, you know, and now in theory, you could do it over Tor and everything else, but in practice, we found people don't. So, um, you know, so LNURL for me is like this, um, it's, it's both a great indication of stuff that we should look hard at, like uh, obviously people are requiring it and we need it, um, but also it, it just shows how Things have changed. And like certainly in the last 12 months, we've seen this uh, explosion of developers and development on top of the Lightning Network. I mean, those of us who are deep in the weeds in the Lightning Network are like, oh, we've got so much work to do. We've got to do all this stuff. But so people one layer up already find it useful and already, you know, looking at stuff that we're doing and going, hey, here's stuff that we can add and, you know, and building these layers on top, which is incredibly exciting to see, right? So, I, you know, I love what LNURL are doing and I hope they keep going with more some more cool features.
0: Fantastic. And recently, there were some comments you made around slow HTLCs, and I think yourself and Christian have been critical of that. And as I understand, the main criticism is that it locks up liquidity across the network. So what's your view on slow or long-lived HTLCs?
1: Yeah, so long-lived HTLCs are a problem for the network. They are... um, they're a problem because they, they can tie up liquidity and they're, they're trivial to weaponize. Uh, you can create, you know, these long-lived HGLCs that tie up liquidity through the network and then, you know, at some point, uh, which could be, you know, depending on how long, what the maximum duration people allow HGLCs to last for, which varies from node to node, um, you know, you could hold it up for 24 hours and then just drop it, right? And that, that attack is completely costless because if you don't actually pay the HGLC, if it fails, you don't pay anything. Right. So um, in the long run, right, the, the the network is going to have to develop mechanisms against spam. And this is one of the most obvious forms of spam is this like kind of liquidity spam. And the problem is you can't tell the difference between someone using this legitimately because they really were trying to make a payment and someone using it illegitimately because they're just kind of, you know, they're kind of like a, a bit of a, you know, uh, they're a bad actor. Right. Um, and particularly in the Lightning Network, because we try really hard not to de-anonymize, right? We're really trying hard to make this thing where you can't tell where stuff's coming from. And if we don't solve this problem and bad actors can just run free through the network, then what nodes will end up doing simply through self-defense is that they will have to start de-anonymizing the connections. Like, cool, I will forward this payment for you, but just first tell me where it's going and who it's from, right? Which completely undermines the network. But if, it's, if it's your choice is that... Or turn your lightning node off. That is exactly what people will do. So we do need to solve this problem, um, and there are various, you know, various uh, proposals that have been made. But the important takeaway for people is that in the long term, there is going to be a limit on how long you will be allowed to hold an HTLC for right? Now, today, things are pretty wild and free on the network. And that's fantastic. You know, we're all experimenting, that's great. But it is important people that people realize that if you're building a business model that is based upon the idea that you will hold people's payment for a week before redeeming it, the network is going to defend itself at some point against that behavior, and it will stop working. Um, so I've tried to, you know, make sure that that, that uh, people have heard this message. Um, and that look, that's absolutely fine to do today. But just be aware that, you know, that will become something that people weaponize and as like collateral damage um, the defenses that the network introduces against that will prevent it prevent you from doing it
0: right and it would also be from your point of view here that fees will not compensate for this
1: yeah so we deliberately chose a model where where fees are paid on success because that's incentive aligning i will pay you if you successfully forward this payment the downside of that is that if you don't Um, you won't get paid at all. And that becomes something of a problem because, you know, I can spam you with a whole heap of payments that will never succeed. Right. And you will not get any money from it. Um, You know, I don't gain much from it, but uh, potentially I could though. I could, you know, if I'm competing with you for liquidity, I can basically spam away all your liquidity and, and, you know, uh, and, and, drive up your CPU costs and everything else um, so that people are forced to use my routes, right? So in any kind of unregulated network, you will end up with these effects. So I see, and we've had this discussion several times, at some point in the future, there probably will be some kind of upfront payment requirement. Um, And we've had a whole heap of discussions around what form that would take, but it seems like the only real way for us to solve this is to have a two-component system. You have like a, you know, uh, an upfront payment that you've got to pay before I'll even try, and then you have like a a post-pay on success. Now, to be incentive compatible, the post-pay on success still has to dominate, right? Because I want you to try to deliver it, not just go, nope, sorry, I couldn't, thank you, I'll take your money. Um, And it also turns out that doing this in a way that doesn't leak information, uh, as far as like how long the route is, is also incredibly difficult. Um, And I've had some really good conversations with Anthony Towns on different cryptographic techniques that that he thinks we could possibly use to kind of square the circle and, and, and get this working. But um, but you know the 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 takeaway here is that at some point in the future of the Lightning Network, there will probably be some form of upfront payment, and you know it, it it'll be tiny. Um, you know it'll just be a token amount, so that if you're spamming, at least you'll be paying me.
0: Great. And are there any other things you wanted to point out with the upcoming C Lightning release zero point eight point zero?
1: Yeah. So one of the things that we've got in this release is obviously you know C Lightning. Uh, about in 2019, the story of C Lightning was really hmm, we, we, we're we three people at Blockstream. Um, three, three. I mean, I've got to say, Christian and Lisa are incredibly good devs. Um, and we've got, you know, community contributors as well, and that's fantastic. But we're still a very small team. And we realized that, you know, we couldn't do everything. So, C-Lightning became this kind of uh, foundation on which we built all these plugins. So we added these hooks, so you could do these, Things that you needed to do—you know—you need to implement your business logic, or you want to do something custom or boutique. Um, we didn't have the resources to meet everyone's needs, so we went, okay, well, let's create this plug-in infrastructure so that you know you can make your own customizations and you can do whatever you know uh, boutique things you need to do for for your use case. Um, and. Really, you know, with the latest zero point eight release, that's really come to fruition. There are so many great hooks that you can use. Um, if you're doing research on, on on different onion formats and things, you can now inject and receive arbitrary data uh, that you want. Um, so, you know, that's really been the, the the key takeaway. But if we look back over twenty nineteen uh, in the lightning ecosystem, it feels to me like we've been building infrastructure this year. Um, people ask me what, what are the major things, and I can point to a whole range of things, but you know, all of them are about you know making a solid foundation and making you know getting more people to understand the light network and and that whole layer of people on top, right? We you build the light network, but then you need people app developers to integrate it, and they need to learn you know what techniques and 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 get that kind of um, that that knowledge about the best methods and practices for doing things, so that you know, so they so that that knowledge is being is being spread further and further so more people can come along and go cool i have a great idea i want to add lightning to it what do i do and they don't have to kind of you know uh (laughs) understand htlcs read the read the lightning paper and work their way up they can basically take these toolkits and these techniques other people have developed and build on that and that has been the story for me of 2019 is that this is really about laying foundations um, and getting us to that point where you know more and more people can build useful stuff on top of lightning and that's what makes me incredibly optimistic about the stuff that we're going to see in 2020 because i feel like you know as we close out 2019 we've really moved things up a notch as far as lightning uh goes you know it's now a network that you can use for real stuff and you know uh and it's it's more a lot more stable than it was 12 months ago as far as like the success of payments and just you know Ease of running your own node um, and the ease of like you know if you want a selection of wallets and everything else has really kind of stepped up a lot closer to that kind of production quality level um, that I think we'd always hoped. Uh, of course, you know it took longer than we'd hoped as always, but um, I really feel that 2019 was like you know getting our ducks in a row and getting everything organized, and it feels like you know tw- we're wrapping up with this with multi part payment stuff at the end of. Uh, 2019 and 2020 is just going to be an amazing year for lightning
0: yeah so i guess on that what are you most excited about for 2020 for example mpp becoming more mainstream anything else
1: yeah, so getting rid of legacy payments um, will be fantastic. One, because it cleans up the spec. The spec's currently, you know, got all these cases. Of, oh, if you're doing legacy, right, we can just remove all that stuff. And and if you want to read about what we used to do, you'll you'll read like the the old Git versions and stuff. And the spec itself will become much a much neater document. Um, also, in the implementations, we get to pull out that stuff. It'll be much much nicer. From my point of view, I think the excitement. I mean, you know, there's a whole lot of things coming down the pipe that we that we still want. Uh, we've obviously got. Uh, L2 potentially. Once we've got the soft fork in, we can we can do those kind of tricks. Um, and there's there's a whole that opens a whole, the door to you know a whole new realm of lightning. But increasingly, I think people will be insulated from that because they'll be one layer layer up. We're seeing a lot of innovation in wallets. Um, you know, a lot more robust deployments. Um, so even though the technology might be improving underneath, it'll be incremental for them at some point. You know, it is it is getting so much easier to use lightning that you know while I think that will make it easier and more robust again um, from their point of view, they're almost insulated from, from that layer of, layer of technology. So, you know, uh, I'm a, I'm a low level person, you know, I work, I work mainly on the spec uh, and on, on deep implementations. And we argue over bits and bytes on the wire and cool protocol stuff. Um, And I'm still excited about what's going to happen there, but um, really what we're going to see is, is, um, is innovation like both at the applications people are creating um, and at the wallet level, like integration, both payments and receiving payments. And that I expect to be the big story in 2020.
0: Actually, just on the question of wallets with C-Lightning, you've got Spark, which works as a remote control for your C-Lightning node. And I also understand that there's Zeus by Evan Kaloudis. He's also working on having that to support C-Lightning. Are there any others that you're aware of that you're looking at?
1: so they're the two main ones um you know i really want to see in 2020 i want to see like better hardware wallet support for lightning um you know at least for your off-chain funds uh we can do that in theory today and see lightning so that uh, while see lightning will control your sorry uh see lightning will control your uh, your channels and, and all the balance there but um it w- the internal wallet won't hold any uh, any bitcoin all the bitcoin goes to and from your hardware wallet right that's obviously a nice thing to have um and a nice compromise between having a fully integrated hardware wallet that does all the validation of the 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 lightning protocol stuff um and the current state where you basically transfer bitcoin into you know into the internal wallet inside your lightning implementation and then use it from there right so that's definitely something i want to see um I'm, i'm happy with the state of wallets today everyone everyone's writing a wallet that is fantastic um in the C Lightning side, I guess, given my background as as Linux kernel dev and, and and server side, um, you know, we have a wallet implementation, it's it's perfectly functional, it's it's kinda cool. Um but we're more on the the server and the industrial side, right? So um, I am delighted to see everyone innovating with their wallets and making it so much easier to use. And, and, you know, uh, the Phoenix stuff that's just been uh, released by uh, Async looks incredibly exciting. Um, I love what what, uh, Jack's doing with Zap as well. Um, I love to see all this innovation, but, you know, I feel our plate's full just doing like the the server side, um, and I'm going to let them figure out all the the, the tricks and tips on the uh, uh, on the lightning wallet side. I mean, to be fair, um, lightning wallets are evolving so much faster than Bitcoin wallets did. Right? Um, that it took a long time for us to get Bitcoin wallets that didn't suck, um, and it seems like Lightning is kind of. That 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 path has already been greased by uh, by the successive successive learning of Bitcoin wallets, and so the Lightning wallets seem to be really uh, catching up really fast and 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 getting that user experience down really really quickly. So that's incredibly exciting to see. Um, you know and. Perhaps it's a little bit like uh, at one stage, everyone used to write their own window manager for, for Linux. That was the thing everyone did. At the moment, it's like everyone's writing a lightning wallet. Um, so there'll probably be some kind of die-off and we'll end up with like a few major ones. Um, but the innovation that's happening is incredibly exciting.
0: Yeah, it's really fascinating to see. And like you, I'm definitely excited to see what happens in 2020. So I think that's going to do it for this episode. But do you have any shout-outs that you'd like the listeners to check out or follow?
1: Yeah, um, so i did a series of um twitter like live streams on the bolts which i will be continuing um i got up to bolt 9 i need to do 10 and 11. um I think that's kind of underappreciated. The the stuff that underlies this Lightning stuff is is all the implementers coming together and basically trying to spec it out and thrash thrash out what's going to happen. And it gives you an insight into what's coming in implementations because it goes into the spec first usually and then it gets rolled out. Um, So I'm really excited about the spec stuff, but it's a bit hidden from people. Um, So there will be more of those. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter uh, and I will definitely tweet out there. Um, But on that, I I do want to do a shout out to to the other implementers, right? So particularly... uh, um, particularly lightning labs and uh and async who have been you know incredibly generous with their time and you know as as we kind of engage in this mutual search for truth right where everyone is trying so hard to make sure that things are understandable and the best that we can possibly make them and you know it's it's honestly an honor uh to work with 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 those devs uh and try to keep up with all the great ideas that they have so um you know it, it wouldn't it wouldn't be um it it wouldn't be fair to talk about lightning without talking about you know the fantastic engineers that i get to work with uh on this all this stuff um as well as of course the c lightning devs but the the teams all together um are both you know incredibly bright and very talented but also just just genuinely nice and very friendly to each other so um, i'm really enjoying like the cooperation and competition uh that that we have together
0: thanks for joining me rusty
1: thank you Stefan. always wonderful
0: Hope you enjoyed the show, and if you do, make sure you leave me an Apple iTunes review as that helps new people find me. You can subscribe to the show and find the transcript on my website, stefanlevera.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the Citadels.